Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we Welcome in, everybody, episode 272 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July 20th. 2020. I hope all of you had a fantastic weekend. Whatever you did, wherever you went, whether it was the beach, the pool, the golf course, if you stayed at home, if you read a book, I hope you had a great weekend and great news. I am going to kick off your week with an awesome episode today because there is still We are now heading towards the end of July into August. This is supposed to be the slow time in sports, and instead, the stories keep on rolling in. So here's a quick rundown of today's show. We're going to get into it because there is a lot to get into. First topic is obviously college football. Look, we are now at the point where college football remains really the only sport that we frankly don't have any answers to, right? NASCAR's back, golf is back, UFC is back, Major League Baseball is coming back this weekend, the NBA the following week, they're in the bubble. College football is the one that we have no idea, but while I don't want to get too excited yet, I do think we got two really positive signs that the powers that be in college football are not only planning on playing, but planning on playing week one. Those signs came this weekend. I will get into them. I will explain why they are so important and why I think this was actually a good weekend for college football. Then we will transition to basketball. So late Wednesday night, right after I recorded the last episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast, Jonathan Kaminga, a super elite, super talented high school player, announced that he too will join this G League pathway. He was originally a member of the class of 2021, moves up to 2020, and now is headed to the G League. And I'll be honest, I didn't initially re-record the show Wednesday night because I really didn't feel like I had anything to add to the conversation. But after talking to some people this weekend, I actually think I have a pretty interesting perspective that a lot of people won't have. Uh, This G League, it's taken over. Everybody's going to side up. But actually talking to people around college basketball and specifically parents of high school players, 
I actually think there are more questions still than answers. I don't think this pathway is going to be for everybody. It goes back to a lot of what I discussed when this pathway first came out, and I think we're going to talk about it. It's going to be a fun conversation, an interesting conversation, a conversation you won't hear any, anywhere else because, let's be honest, I crush it in a way that nobody else in the media does. Hate to brag. It's kind of the truth, though. Uh, and we'll talk about that pathway because I think there's a bigger conversation that not a lot of people in the media are having. We will wrap with two things. Well, one thing really. The most uh, the the programs in college basketball. So I wrote a great article on Thursday for Kentucky Sports Radio about the programs in college basketball that have had the best off seasons. And what I mean by that is this: is I noticed that when the NCAA tournament went to crap in the middle of March. Um, you know, there were some programs that really hit the ground running, have used this opportunity to improve their programs, whether it's through the transfer market, whether it's through getting ahead to the 2021 recruiting class, 2022. And so I wanted to give a shout out to those programs. I tweeted about it on Friday, got a ton of reaction, put up a post on Instagram, got a ton of reaction. And so we're going to talk about it all on today's show. Uh, but before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. That is where I go to download this show. The Podcast Addict app is for Android. So if you're on an Android, make sure to subscribe to the Podcast Addict app. Uh, also, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. Uh, shout out to UK Granny, who gave us another great review last week. Also, if you're not following on social media, make sure to do all that. Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Twitter. If you have any questions for the show, if you have any questions you want answered, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook, uh, Aaron Torres writer. You can find me on YouTube where I post a lot of these segments. Aaron Torres, wherever, wherever you're on the internet, Torres has already been there, right? I'm like the Lewis and Clark of the internet. I have been everywhere. I've planted my flag. Come find me there. But again, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. All right, people, there is no more time to waste. And as I said, I believe that right now, as we record here, July 20th, the biggest story in sports right now is college football, right? Because everything else in sports is kind of headed down the right pathway. Now, you could argue maybe not college basketball, but college basketball is not going to start till November. We have time to see what works, what doesn't. Is it possible? Is it impossible? And get college basketball going in the right direction down the road. But college football is the one that remains completely up in the air as we speak, as the Major League Baseball gets set to return this week, as the NBA gets set to return the following week, uh, college football is just kind of in this weird space where everybody's back on campus, everybody is back working out, um, and nobody really knows what's going to happen. And I think that is the important place to start. Before I go too far, I will say a couple things. First of all, I think we got a couple 
big pieces of news that I actually think are great signs that we are actually going to get some semblance of normal college football. And we got those two pieces of news this weekend. But before we get to those pieces of news, I want to reiterate something that I have said on this show time and time again. And that's that right now, as I record, July 20th, 2020, nobody knows anything about college football, what it's going to look like, how many games are going to be played, et cetera, et cetera. And so to even backtrack a little bit, I actually want to contextualize something that you guys are seeing a lot, right? I think over the course of this summer, I would say in general, I have been pretty much a positive person in terms of me thinking that we get college football back on the field in September, in October, in November. And I do think a lot of the media has been very negative about this topic. And I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to pick on people. But outside of what their personal opinion is, there's a couple things I want to tell you before I explain why I thought this was actually a good weekend for college football. The first thing I want to explain is very simply this is that the people that run college football are no different at their core than you and I are. And this is what I mean by this. I read a lot of these articles by Pat Forty and Pete Thamel and Dan Wolkin, and they quote, you know, an anonymous athletic director says there's no chance we play college football. And an anonymous Power Five this says there's no chance we play college football. And two assistant coaches from the group of five say there's no chance that we play college football. And what I will say is this, I am not criticizing the individual reporter. I actually, frankly, weirdly, do not know any of those three guys that I mentioned, Pete Thamel, Pat Forty, Dan Wolkin, have no personal vendetta against any of them. But what I will tell you is what I just said a minute ago. Their sources, just like my sources, are no different than you and I. And what I mean by that is this, is that if you take a random sampling of 100 college athletic directors or 100 assistant football coaches or 100 assistant basketball coaches or 100 head football coaches, they're no different than you and I in the sense that there are some that are super positive, there are some that are super negative, there are some that are glasses half full, there are some that the sky is falling, there are some that don't pay attention to it and are totally tunnel vision on their particular team or their particular school, there are some that are smarter, there are some that are not as smart. And so I think that's an important piece here because I think when you read an article from a Pete Thamel or a Dan Wolken, I'm not criticizing their reporting, but what I am saying is one athletic director, two power five assistant coaches, they don't speak for the entire sport, okay? So for everyone that is saying there is zero chance, there's another one somewhere that's probably thinking, you know what, we might be able to pull this off. And so I think that is an important element of this. I'll give you a quick example, then I'll get to the second thing I was going to say, which is that, um, you know, when, I, when, the, when the Ivy League announced that they would not play fall sports, day or two after the Big Ten makes their announcement, the Pac-12 makes their announcement, I texted just a few buddies of mine in coaching and kind of just asked them their thoughts on the overall trend of the Ivies making their decision, the, co- the other conferences making their decision. I had one guy say, you know, this is just the tip of the iceberg. The Ivy did their thing. Everybody else is going to follow suit, okay? That's pro- I don't want to say he's a glasses half empty guy. I think he's being a little bit more of a realist. But I also texted somebody else and they said, oh my God, typical Ivies. Ivies are always trying to show us how smart they are and how forward thinking they are and how far ahead they are. And you know what? This guy was a basketball coach. He said, you know what? 
I think we're going to get on the court, maybe not the first game in November. I think we're going to have a lot of games. I think we're going to have a pretty normal season. And so just that microcosm of two text messages I sent gives you an understanding that there are polar opposites within the sport, within the coaching community, within the AD community. And I do think that's a really important thing to understand when you read all of these doom and gloom articles. The other thing I would say is that, as I said to lead this segment, nobody knows anything right now. Greg Sankey, the commissioner uh, commissioner of the SEC, he doesn't know anything. He He's very educated. He's having a lot of important meetings. He's talking to doctors. He's talking to his head football coaches. He's talking to his school presidents. But he doesn't know anything definitive. Mark Emmert sitting in his ivory tower. He doesn't know anything definitive. Bob Bowlesby, the commissioner of the Big 12, doesn't know anything definitive. Heck, uh, Kevin Warren, the commissioner of the Big 10, who has already made the decision to go league-only games, doesn't know anything definitive. Are we going to start September 1st? Are we going to start the middle of September? Are we going to play a full 10 games? We don't know. Nobody knows. So don't believe any of these articles that says 100% we're not playing or 100% we are playing. But what I will tell you is while I have been more of an optimist, I will admit that, I did see two things this weekend that actually made me feel pretty good that we could get some semblance of football on the field in the fall and pretty close to week one of the college football season. And I'll tell you those two things. The first thing was very simply this. I tweeted about it. You probably saw my Twitter timeline, at Aaron underscore Torres. Alabama made kind of a pseudo-important scheduling move on Saturday. And for people who don't remember, Alabama was slated to open the season against USC in Dallas. Pac-12 announces they're going to league-only games. Obviously, that game is canceled. Well, Alabama on Saturday, a report comes out from AL.com, the biggest newspaper in that state, that Alabama is on the brink of replacing that game with USC with a home game against BYU. For people who don't remember, BYU in football is an independent. BYU was scheduled to play Utah in week one of the college football season. That game has obviously been canceled because Utah also is in the Pac-12. And so why do I bring it up? I think it's important because I do not believe that on July 20th, Alabama would be trying to schedule a game for week one if they did not believe they were going to be on the field. I mean, just think about it in its simplest context, right? Nick Saban is unquestionably the most powerful head coach in college football. I'm not saying that he's single-handedly going to force the SEC onto the field, but do you think Nick Saban would be working the phones if he knew a call from Greg Sankey was coming on Monday that we're not playing out a conference game. Maybe Greg Sankey is working over his head. I'm using a little common sense here, a little common denominator, trying to put two and two together. I'll be honest, I don't know Nick Saban. I can't get him on the phone. I can't ask him myself. But I'm using common sense to say Nick Saban's a pretty powerful person. Greg Byrne, the AD at Alabama, is a pretty powerful person. Do you think either of those guys would be burning up the phones to get a game on the schedule for week one, to call up other schools, to get contracts going, to figure out travel, to figure out logistics? Do you think those schools, you think Alabama would be doing all that if they knew the SEC was going to come out tomorrow and say, no out of conference games? It could happen 
It just doesn't seem likely though. So to me, that is a great step in the right direction of getting actual college football back on the field. The second thing, which I think is also important, another thing that I tweeted about, another thing that is a big deal relative to college athletics, college football, getting games on the field week one is this. The SEC announced on Friday that they will honor all player scholarships and that if a player decides not to play this season because of COVID-19, because of fears, because of concerns, because of worries about being infected, because of worries about infecting family or friends, they will not be punished for not playing this season. They will be able to maintain their scholarship, they will be able to take a redshirt year, and they will be able to come back next season. That might not sound like much, but to me that is huge, and let me explain why. The reason why is very simply this is that over the course of the last, I don't know, six months, not six, but three months, two months, four months, since we realized there would be no college basketball tournament, and since we kind of turned our attention to college football, there have been two big reasons why the people that don't think we should play college football have really just hammered home, we can't play college football. One is safety, and two, because it's not fair to those poor, disenfranchised college athletes that aren't getting paid, don't we feel so terrible for them? Well, the first one, let's start with health. And I will say, again, I'm not trying to be Mr. Positivity. I'm not trying to be Mr. Rainbows and Sunshine. I will say there are some things that are not working in college football's favor right now. As we know, as you see on every single news station when you turn it on, There are numbers that are going the wrong direction in a lot of places in America, including many SEC states. I'll let you, I'll let your governor, I'll let your peer group discuss that. That is obviously not a great thing, right? That is not a thing that is working in college football's favor. The other thing is the great unknown about what happens when students come back to campus. Is it going to be a Petri dish? Is everybody going to just infect one another? How do you keep college kids away from other college kids? How do you keep the guys away from the girls? How do you keep the football players away from the keg parties? We do not have the answer to those questions yet, and it certainly will not be easy. But what I can tell you definitively is this. I have been saying since May, because I remember talking to a coach, it might have even been in April, And he told me then, and it has become a common talking point then, but he told me, he said, the safest place our kids can be is on a college campus. Not at home where they're around grandma, grandpa, you know, mom might work at the grocery store. She might be going into an office. You're coming back home. You're working out. Maybe the facilities aren't very clean. Uh, You come back to a college campus. That is the safest place you can be. Because we are going to be testing you every day. If, God forbid, you catch this illness, we have the best medical staff you can possibly have access to. We're going to quarantine you. We're going to keep you healthy. We're going to monitor you. And we're ideally, in a perfect world, going to help you get through this, right? I've been saying that since April, maybe May. Well, it's proven to be true. For all the talk about all the numbers, this school with this positive, that school with that positive, Most of the schools, once they get kids into the bubble of being around the football team, of being tested regularly, of 
being away from outside influences, the testing has actually gone well and nobody wants to talk about this. I will give you an example. The University of Oklahoma, when they had their football players return to campus, the entire team got tested. 14 positive tests when they returned to campus. Well, guess what? Last week, the football team was tested. 98 players, 30 coaches, zero positive tests. Say what you want. The testing is working. The bubble in college sports is working for right now. And it's not just at Oklahoma. Penn State has done 178 tests of student-athletes, zero positive tests. Kentucky football tested 108 players last week, zero positive tests. Michigan State Athletics, zero positive tests. So I bring this all up to say that when you get the kids back in the bubble, it is safe. They are doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're being monitored the way they're supposed to be monitored. And if they're staying out of trouble, this thing is working. Now, the issues have come, like at LSU, when the players went to bars. Kansas State, the players went to an off-campus party. All of a sudden, Kansas State has 14 positive tests. All of a sudden, LSU has 30-something. They got to quarantine. They got to delay workouts. There have been other delays. Ohio State, North Carolina. Ohio State was back like a day later. Nobody talks about it. They caught it. They got it under control. And so to me, the two biggest issues all along were, is this going to be safe? Well, right now, it's safe. Right now, these players are doing what they're supposed to be doing. And when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, when they're paying attention, when they're not going to bars and hanging out and doing crazy stuff at night, they're testing negative, which is a great thing. Nobody wants to talk about the positives. And I'm not saying it's all positives, but this is a positive. What did I just say? 108 tests at Kentucky, they're all negative. 178 at Penn State, they're all negative. 98 players at Oklahoma and 30 staff, they're all negative. That is a positive. So I think when you add that in with what I just said, that no student athlete will be punished for not uh, playing this season, I think that's a great sign. I think that what the SEC did, which by the way, Big Ten schools have done the same, is said if you don't feel comfortable playing, we're not going to make you. I, we all think of college sports as this big, bad, money-making machine, and it's this awful place. No, it ain't. They're telling you, we're going to give you a free year of school, a free year of housing, free books, and you don't even have to play if you don't want to. So credit college athletics. But now I don't know what the naysayers really have to say to argue that we shouldn't have a season. Now things can change. I admit that. We can have outbreaks. We could find out that when you play in practice or when you play in games, it's easy to transmit. When kids come back to campus, it could get worse. But right now, I tell you this all the time, I can only do the show on July 20th based on the information that I have July 20th, and that is that things are going in the right direction as we speak right now with everything to do with college athletics. Again, it could change, but it is going in the right direction. And to close, what I would say is this. Greg Sankey has said, commissioner of the SEC, many times that a decision will come in late July, early August, and I think we're missing the reason why. And so what I think is we have about two weeks now to really make some tough decisions. I'm not saying 
that the decisions that are going to get made are going to be easy or that they're all going to be positive. But I think there's two reasons that the SEC is kind of earmarked right around August 1st to decide if we're going to go forward with football as we intend. The first one is it gives us a chance, it gives college football a chance to just see how things are going in other sports, right? The MLS has been in this bubble for about three, four weeks now. I know some, you know, some organizations had to pull out, some games have gotten delayed, but for the most part, it's going pretty well. I wake up in the morning to work out, there's an MLS game on my TV. I get wind down at the end of the night, 10.30 Eastern, and we got MLS games on my TV. I'd say it's going pretty good. Not perfect. We're not shooting for perfect here. But it's going pretty well. Major League Baseball, going pretty well. The NBA in the bubble seems like things are going in the right direction. But I think college athletics, naturally, wants to say, let's see what happens. Let's see how these school, let's see how these organizations and these leagues do. The second thing, which I haven't heard anybody talk about, but this is a big week for college football, and I'll tell you why. July 20th, the day that many of you are listening to this, that is when schools can start actual on-the-field practice. Up until right now, um, it was kind of, you know, working out with a, a coach, you know, working out with strength training, working out with this, working out with that. Now we're starting to get on the field. Now we're all starting to touch the football. Now Trevor Lawrence is starting to hand the ball off to his running back and throw it to his wide receivers. Now the offensive line is banging on the defensive line. And I think we're going to find out pretty quick if this illness is transmittable by an offensive lineman banging up against that D tackle for 45 snaps over the course of an afternoon. If a cornerback going in press coverage against a wide receiver is how this is transmitted. If Trevor Lawrence can transmit it by handing the ball off to his running back. So I don't have the answers because nobody has the answers. And that is the important thing to remember. Nobody is 100% certain on anything right now. And it's July 20th, and it sucks, and you guys are fans, and many of you are season ticket holders, and many of you want answers. And we don't have answers right now. But what I'm telling you is that for at least one weekend, for at least two or three days, I believe we got some steps in the right direction. Alabama would not be scheduling BYU if Alabama did not believe that right now the plan was to be on the field week one. And I don't believe the SEC would make this move, again, if they didn't believe that there was a chance that there was going to be football in a couple weeks. And it also eliminates one of the biggest arguments that people have against football. Well, if they don't these kids are trapped. If they don't play, they're going to lose their scholarship. Well, now they're not. And as I've said many times on Twitter, the vast majority of parents and players that I speak with, they actually want to play. Because as I've said many times, there aren't a lot of Trevor Lawrence's and Justin Fields. There aren't a lot of guys that can miss a full season and become millionaires six or eight months from now. So we will see, but I do think that this weekend was a step in the right direction for college football, and we will see if it translates to actually getting a product on the field week one, but I felt like it was a pretty good step. All right, not going to lie, I probably just gave you the most entertaining 20 minutes on college football that you're going to hear anywhere this week, and now I'm going to do a complete left turn and go talk some hoops. That's what AT does. That's what I do on this show. I come on this show, I give you facts, I give you information, then I do some left turn, and then I give you some more information on another sport. And so the other sport is kind of a college, football, college basketball, high school basketball, 
pro basketball, kind of a hybrid story, right? But as I said to lead the show, uh, John Kaminga, Jonathan Kaminga, he was the number one high school player in the class of 2021. Um, For people who aren't doing the math in your head, that means he would have been a senior this year. He graduated early. And on Wednesday, he announced that he is going to join this G League pathway program that also features Jalen Hill, or Jalen Hill, that also features Jalen Green, that also features Dacian Nix, who was committed to US to UCLA, and it involves Isaiah Todd, who was committed to Michigan. And when Jonathan Kaminga made that announcement on Wednesday night, at first my initial reaction was, "Oh crap, <laughs> I got to go record, re-record the top of the show because this is some pretty big news." And then I kind of sat back and I was like, you know what, this isn't really, I don't really know that I have anything to add to the conversation, right? Like one of the things that I always say about this show, I don't really talk about things that, if I don't feel like I have an interesting opinion, if I don't feel like I have anything to add, if I don't feel like I'm going to make you smarter for listening to me, you guys are investing your time in listening to this show and I want to make you smarter. And so on Wednesday, I was kind of thinking, you know, I don't really know that I have anything to add to the conversation. It had been speculated for weeks now that John Kaminga was going to choose a pro path that the G League was most likely and that he probably wasn't going to play college basketball. Now, I think if it had been a year from now and name image likeness potentially was on the table, which there, there was a whole list of guidelines that came out this week that maybe should have been a topic on this show, but there's only so much I could talk about. But if name image likeness was the was in play now and he could make 100,000, 55,000, 75,000, he might have just gone to play college basketball. But he chose to go to the G League and, and on Wednesday I just felt like, man, I don't really know what I can say that is going to further this conversation. But then I started thinking about it, made a few phone calls, thought about a few phone calls that I've made throughout this spring. And I realized I actually do have a pretty unique perspective on this, and this just comes with doing my homework and being prepared and talking to people. And that perspective is very simply this. Jonathan Kaminga decides to go to the G League, and it just, for, for, for people that want to believe that every elite high school basketball player is going to take the G League route, it just furthers that narrative, right? Well, you know, another kid chooses the G League, college basketball is screwed, it's never going to happen. Well, I actually talked to some people. I talked to two sets of parents, two parents of players that are elite high school players in the class of 2021, two players that in theory could have this option a year from now. And they both told me, you know what, Aaron, I'm not really that interested. My son is not really that interested. And it goes back to a lot of what I said. And so let me kind of backtrack and get into it and say that We all know about the G League Pathway program. It is that deal where rather than going to college, a kid is going to go play under professional coaching in what is essentially a G League training camp basically for a year. They're going to train. They're going to work out. They're going to weight train, all that stuff, right? And when this first came out, the argument was, oh, this is the death of college basketball. Oh, the great players are going to choose it. Well, first of all, it's important to remember There are players that we know were offered the pathway that turned it down. Terrence Clark, who's at Kentucky, turned it down. Evan Mobley, who's at USC, turned it down. Greg Brown, who's at Texas, turned it down. Zaire Williams, who's at Stanford, turned it down. So there are plenty of players that are just flat out turning it down. Now, going forward, if this program continues the way that it is intended, 
there are still going to be players that choose it. Make no mistake. And it's for a number of different reasons. Look, I think there are certain families that just want the money. And I'm not going to blame anybody for grabbing a quick 500K. There are certain families that not only want the money, but need the money. I don't know that much about Jonathan Kaminga's background, but he was born in the Congo. He was born in Africa. $500,000 might change his whole family's life. I'm not going to criticize him for taking that money. I wouldn't, if, if I was advising him and, I, and, and his situation is what I believe it to be, I'm not going to blame him for taking that money rather than going to two, a year of college when he knows that he's only going to be there for a year. I'm not going to blame him. There are other reasons. Some kids just don't like school. Some kids don't want to do another year of school. Basically, Isaiah Todd, that was his argument the whole year. If I'm going to be a pro, I want to focus on basketball. I don't want to focus on sociology class. Now, I think that kid needed college basketball, which we're going to get into in a minute, but I don't blame him. If he doesn't want to go to school, he shouldn't be in school. So there is always going to be people that choose this path if this path is in front of them. But what was really interesting to me was that in the, probably the last two months, month and a half, month, whatever, I have talked to two different sets of parents that basically said, if my son is off for this year from now, we're not going to take it. We're not really that interested. And they said, look, we'll listen, we'll take a meeting, but we're not going to do it. And it is for the exact same reason that I told you the day this program was announced. And so let's get into the program because I think it's important to remember what the program is. Everyone focuses on the $500,000, but let's never forget the program is basically your training for a year. As of right now, they're only scheduled to play like 10 to 12 games over the course of the entire year in this program. Outside of that, it's a lot of workouts, it's a lot of training, it's a lot of practice and when I talked to these parents, they both independently, not knowing I was talking to each of them, both told me the same thing. They said, the likely, $500,000 is great, but you could get exposed and lose out on millions more in the long term. And what do I mean by that? Well, if you're working out with NBA people for seven, eight, nine months, we're going to find out exactly who you are, what makes you tick, what makes you go. And whether you really want this or not. And as I said from the beginning, if you don't love to practice, you're going to get exposed in this program. If you kind of only show up for the games, if you don't like to weight train, if you tend to be late, if you only want to work on the skills that you're good at and not get better at skills that you're not, the worst thing you can actually possibly do is join this program. Because if you join this program, you are going to be in front of the eyes of the NBA for a year straight. As one of the parents told me, the NBA is going to be looking under the hood of the car, trying to figure out what's wrong, what's right, what works, what doesn't. And so I'm not saying the path isn't for everybody. I'm not saying the $500,000 isn't for everybody. But do you want to take that $500,000 up front and potentially cost yourself millions on the back end? I have used this example many times. Isaiah Todd is one of the kids who is in this program. I know multiple people who have coached Isaiah Todd throughout his high school career. I try not to go be overly critical of 17, 18, 19-year-old kids, but he is now a professional. He is earning a paycheck, and I'm just going to call a spade a spade. I've been told by multiple people that have coached him through the years, he doesn't really like to work. He doesn't really like to practice. He's an incredibly skilled player. 
And if he was a hundred, you know, percent in, two feet into basketball, he has as much upside as anybody in this class. And he's really great when the lights are on and the games start. But in practice, working out on his own, working on his skills, he doesn't always deliver. He doesn't bring it. He ain't Michael Jordan bringing it every single day. And so is this actually going to hurt him in the long run? It's funny, right? We heard so much about R.J. Hampton. I talked about R.J. Hampton on this show last year. Oh, everyone, oh, he's such a trailblazer. This is going to change everything. Google R.J. Hampton NBA draft stock right now because it's trending in the wrong direction. And what I can tell you is this. This is no disrespect to R.J. Hampton, who's an insanely talented player. But my understanding from people who were in Australia last year, whether they were with the team or with the league or around the team, Let's just say there was some friction between R.J. Hampton's camp and the team. That's not 100% on R.J. Hampton, to be 100% clear. But I think his camp maybe felt like there were certain promises made to him that were not delivered. He didn't start a lot of games. He didn't play a lot of games. Um, You know, even his dad would – I interviewed his dad during the season. This is no disrespect to his dad. But there were some comments, you know, that he made to other people. And by the way, when I spoke with his dad, it was nothing but positives. But there were comments that his dad made to other media like, well, LaMelo Ball over there, he gets to do whatever he wants. RJ's in a completely different system. And so all I'm saying, this is not a knock on the kid. But this kid was supposed to be a trailblazer. He was supposed to be a revolutionary. What ended up happening was, played against grown men, dealt with adversity, and maybe didn't handle it as well as people were hoping he would. And now his draft stock is suffering. And I think that's going to happen with some of these kids in this G League. And that is why, again, I think a lot of parents are sitting there saying, man, you know, we could use the money, but we don't need the money. And because we don't need the money, why am I going to put my son in an environment where he's getting poked and prodded every day for a year straight? Why not send him to Duke? Why not send him to Kentucky where he can play on a huge stage? He can play 40 times a year on national TV. He can put a team on his back. He can deliver in games. Oh, by the way, he just gets to play games, which is the fun part of all of this. He just gets to play games, which is the fun part. Why not send my son to do that rather than to be off the grid and off the radar for a year? And so, again, there's always going to be kids that choose the G League pathway. It's going to be kids that choose overseas if those options are available. But if college basketball gets back to some semblance of normalcy this year, and a B.J. Boston at Kentucky, or a Zaire Williams at Stanford, or a Greg Brown at Texas, or a Cade Cunningham at Oklahoma State can use college basketball, can use those 40-plus games a year, 35-plus games a year, to build a brand, to be on national TV – while all these other guys are off the grid, I think a lot of parents are sitting there saying, that's not a bad trade-off. We'll, we'll give up the 500 k up front if it's going to help us get that big bag of change on the back end. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to see. The other thing I'll say about the G League program is this. I don't think they really understand what they're getting into with the development of high school players. And what I mean by that is very simply this. I was texting around this week asking a few people, hey, like, has this thing started yet? Like, like, what's going on with this? Because I see Ball is Life, Jalen Green's working out here, and Ball is Life, Jonathan Kaminga's working out here. Um, and I, 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 when does this thing start? And then it also 
played from this perspective as well, which was, I live in California. This thing is supposed to be based in California. Gyms aren't even open in California. USC football got kicked out of their facility because gyms aren't open in California. Are they even going to be able to start this thing on time? And what I had a few people tell me was, well, you know, they're really not going to start till September, October. You know, kind of when basketball season would start. And I'm sitting there thinking, I mean, do they know what they're getting into? Because like I said a minute ago, BJ Boston and Terrence Clark are at Kentucky working with world-class strength training program right now. Great nutrition. They're not eating McDonald's, doing whatever. They're working out and starting tomorrow with coaches. They're doing things to get better. They're being coached by Hall of Famers. Same with the guys at Duke. Same with the guys at Kansas. UCLA. Say what you want about Mick Cronin. He's a pretty good coach. So you get to work with a great coach, strength and conditioning for free, food for free, housing for free. But these G League kids, they're kind of on their own. And I'll tell you this, they might be playing pickup and they might be playing really well, but are they really in the gym working on skills? Are they really in the gym getting better? Are they really in the gym lifting and taking care of their body and eating right? And so I'm sitting there like, what is the G League doing? If they're really offering a better path than college basketball, and I'm not trying to be Mr. College Basketball, college basketball is perfect. But shouldn't you have these kids under your umbrella right now? Shouldn't you be looking after them? Isn't the whole point of this program not to throw these kids to the wolves when they're pros and prepare them to be a pro? Well, how is it going to prepare them to give them five months between graduation in May and you start the program in October? It makes no sense. And I'm telling you, this G League Pathway program is not so far, based on what I know, what it's all cracked up to be. There are going to be kids who choose that path, but I'm telling you, man, there are going to be a lot of kids that decide not to choose this program for the reasons that I'm mentioning. And I think there are pretty two pretty high-profile high school players right now talk to their parents who are, have essentially already made that decision regardless of what happens. All right, last little thing before we go. Uh, wrote this great article over the weekend. And it was about the college hoops programs that have essentially won the offseason so far. And where it kind of stemmed from was very simply this, is that, is that when this whole pandemic started, right, there was like a week or two where we were all just running around with our chickens with our head cut off and how do I work from home and I should probably shower before 3 p.m. and am I going to work out from home and how do I do this and what is Zoom? And then like at some point, like we as, you know, normal people, if you will. And I know many of you are still going to work, whether you're police, firefighters, doctors, nurses, shout out to all you guys that are going out there every day uh, and working your butts off for us. Um, But for those of us that were stuck at home, there was kind of this lull. And then it was like, okay, like if we don't want to get fired, like we kind of get our, got to get our butts in gear. You know what I mean? And so I bring all this up for a very simple reason. It's because I really kind of noticed the same thing was going on in college hoops. There were some programs that just a week or two in realized, well, we can sit around and twiddle our thumbs or we can go make the most out of this opportunity and, and, and do everything we can to position ourselves for the 2020 season, 2021, and beyond. And so I, I wrote a great article and I wanted to give credit to those teams 
that have had a great offseason, okay? Teams that have taken bad circumstances and said, you know what? Life's got to go on. We're trying to win games. Let's make our program better. And so I think I came up with 12 teams, and I'll try to be quick here because this podcast is already going long, but here it goes. First team, University of Kentucky. Wrote an article about it, but John Calipari was the one-and-done guru, and I think over the last two or so years, he's realized if I don't jump into this transfer world, I'm doing myself a disservice, I'm doing my program a disservice, and my job is to do what's best for the University of Kentucky not do what I believe is right or wrong. or Like, I need to be in this transfer thing. And so I give Calipari so much credit. As we all know, they lost all five of their starters. They only have one player coming back who played serious minutes. That's Keon Brooks. And he has a number one ranked recruiting class coming in from high school. But he offset it with some real talent in the transfer market. You guys know how I feel about Olivier Saar. I think he's a stud. I think he's a rock star. As I said on the last episode, Talked to a coach who faced him, said he was the most skilled big man that we faced all year. So Kentucky went and got that guy, and I believe that he will be eligible by the time the season starts. They also get a grad transfer point guard in Davian Mintz, can play on the ball, can play off the ball, but just a key piece for a young backcourt that is going to need another guy. And finally, Jacob Toppin. I'm telling you this, I made a few phone calls on Jacob Toppin. People like that kid, man. And I know he didn't have a great freshman year at Rhode Island, and, and he's going to be compared to his brother, friend of the Aratora Sports Podcast, Obi Toppin. But I talked to some coaches in the A-10. They think that kid is a future NBA player. Now, it might be after two or three years at Kentucky, but they think he's a future NBA player. He's got the size. He's got the athleticism. When he gets into that Kentucky strength conditioning program, they think he's an NBA-type player. Second team for the exact opposite reason of Kentucky. By the way, I should mention with Kentucky, Jaden Hardy, number one shooting guard, Paolo Banchero, number one power forward. I think he's the number one player in this class. Both appear to be Kentucky lean. So not only has Kentucky gotten the grad transfers that they want, they've done a good job with the high school players for 2021 as well. Second team, Michigan State. Michigan State's the opposite. Michigan State might be the only team that I can think of I don't think they were involved with a single transfer this entire offseason. But the reason they're winners is because they have taken this time to get ahead on future classes of high school basketball players. The most notable one, Amani Bates. I spent a whole episode talking about Amani Bates a few weeks ago. Amani Bates is by some, some belief he is the best high school prospect since LeBron. Now the question is, will he ever play college basketball? That's another conversation for another day, but number one player in America, number one high school player, commits on national TV, on SportsCenter, to your program. That's good work by Michigan State. Shout out to you, Tom Izzo. And oh, by the way, they got a commitment from a kid named Max Christie, one of the top high school players in the class of 2021 last week as well. And I'll add this. For all the talk about Imani Bates not playing college basketball, the exact opposite could be true as well. Amani Bates could actually reclassify and play in the high school class of 2021, graduate, and then come play at Michigan State for a year. That could especially be true, as I said, if name image likeness comes in and he can make a little bit of money while he's on campus. I would still bet against him playing college basketball, but it's possible. Either way, when you get two top 10 commits in two different classes, I think it's a major step in the right direction. Number three, Arizona. 
How about them Wildcats? Okay, so here's the deal with Arizona. They are a lot like Kentucky. They lost their top six scorers off last year's team, three one-and-done high school players that came in that were freshmen last year, and then three seniors. Unlike Kentucky, they did not have the number one ranked recruiting class to help set them up. They only had two high school players committed prior to the season ending on March 10th. So what does Sean Miller do? As I said in the article, he became college basketball's pit bull. He was Mr. Worldwide. He went and signed a bunch of really good international players. And I'll tell you this, they, they signed a wing from Serbia. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name. Lithuania, excuse me, Lithuania. But I am told that they believe that if this kid played high school basketball here in the United States, that he is the equivalent of a McDonald's All-American player, that he could be a one-and-done next year and he can play in the NBA. They also got a forward named Daniel Bacho from France. They got a point guard named Kerr Chrissa, named after Steve Kerr, who ironically played at Arizona. They signed five international players in the spring. Only one of them actually even played in the United States last year. And they ended up with a top 10 recruiting class. So from two high school players to a top 10 class, shout out to Sean Miller, uh, because I think he did a really good job, all things considered. Staying in the Pac-12, I don't think anybody realizes how good this team has done. USC. USC signed five transfers this offseason. Three of them are grad transfers. All of them averaged double figures at their last spot. Now, are any of them going to be stars? No. But USC has a good returning core, starting point guard Ethan Anderson, Isaiah Mobley, Evan Mobley, who I just mentioned a minute ago, uh, turned down the G-, G League pathway program. I think USC's a tournament team again, but five transfers, including three grad transfers, all average double figures. A fourth transfer is a kid named Josh Morgan, legit seven-footer. People think he's good enough to play in the NBA. He will sit out next year. All right, let's keep going. Alabama. I talked about them on the last episode. I'm not going to spend too much time, but Alabama has completely revamped their roster. They got who they believe was the number one grad transfer on the market, Jordan Bruner, big guy. They got uh, Josh Primo, top 35 guard in America, top 35 prospect, five-star prospect. They got another kid to reclassify last week. They got a McDonald's or uh, Juco All-American named Keon Ellis. And they're looking really good. And oh, by the way, Herb Jones, who was really good for them last year, has announced he'll come back. Now, we're still waiting on John Petty, but... There's a lot of hype with this Alabama team. I saw Jeff Goodman has them winning the SEC next year. I think that's a little presumptuous. If Kentucky has Olivier Saar, I like them. I think I still like Tennessee ahead of Kentucky. But the point does not change that Alabama really reloaded their roster this offseason. I'm excited to see them. Javon Quinterly, their point guard. I'm excited to see them. But shout out to Nate Oates. That team is doing work. Speaking of doing work, Arkansas talked about them a ton. But look. No one has mastered this transfer thing quite like Eric Musselman, and he's going to keep doing it. Three grad transfers, they all fit a need. Vance Jackson, the big forward, athletic, skilled, can score all over the court. Uh, Jalen Tate, a big 6'6 point guard. And then Justin Smith, who was actually the leading scorer at Indiana last year. And Arkansas just looks like a completely different team. We talked about it a ton. They don't have a single player that's taller than six foot six on the roster. Or last season, they didn't have a, a, a player taller than six foot six. 
uh, in their starting lineup. I should have said on their roster, but in their starting lineup now, I mean, they're going to look like an NBA team when they walk in the gym. 6'7", 6'6", point guard, 6'9". They have a kid that's 7'3". They're going to be a really, really interesting team to watch. Next team, arguably the most controversial team that I have on this list, uh, Oklahoma State. So some of you are like, you cannot put Oklahoma State on this list. You're an idiot. And I told my wife, please don't call me an idiot. That's me. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't really pay attention to my list at all. But uh, Oklahoma State, people are saying, how can you put them on the list? They got a one-year postseason ban. They have the number one high school player in America coming in. How can you argue that they had a good offseason? Well, it's because considering that they did get a one-year postseason ban, Mike Boynton, friend of the Aaron Torres podcast, did about as good of a job as anyone could have possibly done to keep things together, to keep the team intact. One, they brought back Cade Cunningham. But two, and I think this is bigger, they basically brought back the rest of the roster. And that might not mean much to you. But I'm telling you, this could have decimated this program. Remember, these players are allowed to transfer without sitting out. They could have been decimated. They could have lost five, six, seven, eight players and not been able to replace them. And really outside of one impact player, everybody decided to come back. Everyone decided to be part of what they're doing. And I think they were a winner. I really do. Next team. I'll try to be quick here as I'm going long. My voice is starting to crack. Louisville. Louisville fans think I hate them. I really don't. I actually like Chris Mack. I think he's really good. And uh, he has, he's had a pretty good offseason. Look, they lost one player to the draft. They were not necessarily expecting, although I don't think they were really surprised, uh, named Jay Scrub, Juco All-American, never ended up on campus. But they get two grad transfers, Charles Miniland, who I think is going to be good, Carlick Jones, who averaged 20 a game at a small school. And more than anything, they got started on the class of 2021 as well. They currently have the number two class in the country. They got a Juco kid named L. Ellis, who actually committed over UConn. They got another point guard named Bobby Pettiford. So I think it was a really, really, really good class. I should mention, by the way, USC, I didn't even give them credit for this. They got three commitments in the class of 2021 already. They currently have the number one class in the country. Two of them have come post-pandemic. So shout out to the USC staff. They are doing major, major, major work. Two commitments ranked in the top 100 to USC. Uh, As we start to wrap up here, I mentioned Louisville. I mentioned Oklahoma State. How about Texas Tech? We know the deal. Chris Beard, rock star. They, too, lost some players that they weren't expecting. Uh, Joel and Tomway, who's John Kaminga's brother, appears to be going pro. Davide Moretti, there was talk that he could skip his senior year to stay in Italy. He has done that. But three transfers, Marcus Santos Silva, Mac McClung, and uh, Jamarius Burton, who came from Wichita. All three are really good players. Uh, Santos Silva will be eligible this year. We'll see on McClung. But Texas Tech doing work. As we start to wrap, I do want to give some credit to some of the mid-majors. I got two of them on this list. George Washington. George Washington, if, if my math was correct, got seven commitments over the course of this offseason, three transfers, all from high major programs, including James Bishop, who played at LSU last year, Ricky Lindo, who played at Maryland last year. I think both those guys are going to be really good at that program, which is in the A-10. They also got a commitment, how about this, from a kid from New Zealand, who recently was added to the Rivals database, is considered a four-star prospect, top 100 prospect in the junior class, could go down as the best recruit in program history. As I start to wrap up here, Howard, two words, McCormaker. 
Even if he doesn't come to campus, it is a huge PR win. Great for the school, great for the basketball program, great for college basketball, frankly. Excited to see him if he actually plays. Even if he doesn't, I think it's a good thing for Howard. And as I wrap here, Memphis, for all the reasons that I said on last episode, they needed a win. They got one with Musa Cisse. The two transfers that they have are really good, and I actually really like that team coming in. So shout out to the teams that won the offseason, according to AT, in no particular order. Kentucky, Michigan State, Arizona, USC, Alabama, Arkansas, Oklahoma State, Louisville, Texas Tech, George Washington, Howard, and Memphis. Woo! <laughs> Sound like Mr. Ed the Horse. 54 minutes down. How about your boy AT? Did AT do it again? Or did AT do it again? Man, I hope we get sports back soon. Listen, that was a great episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You've heard enough of me. For those of you who actually made it through all 54 minutes, shout out to you guys. You guys are the real MVPs. But I love what I'm doing, and I so much appreciate the support that you guys show for this show. Uh, And before I get out of here, I should mention what I did at the end of the last episode. If you like what I'm doing on this show, if you think that I bring good sports analysis, and I think I do because I work my butt off, Uh, talking to people and and talking to smart people and trying to inform myself. If you enjoy this show, all I ask of you, share with friends, share with your dad, share with your grandpa, people that love sports, especially college sports. Because I think AT is doing what what I've been promising to do from the beginning, which is deliver the good thing too. If you're a little tired of AT, got a couple good guests coming up, got a couple hoops coaches, a couple college football voices that I think you'll enjoy in the coming weeks. Uh, and just a lot of really, really, really good content. This thing is going to keep rolling, hopefully into September, where we get some college football. Uh, but before I get out of here, I want to remind you, first of all, share with your friends. Also, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. If you have an Android, Podcast Addict is the way to go. Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to the podcast, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that stuff. Also, if you're not following, make sure to do so on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. If you have any questions, that is all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel who hates my voice. This must have been a tough episode to get through, Rachel. I'll be back later this week. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.